When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now, he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. You're fired. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> well, here we are. It's the bonus show we never thought we would do. Here's the payoff. What really happened? What happened when? Bruce got released from the WWE in 2008. So, Bruce, uh, there's lots of uh, rumor and innuendo out there. Normally, I try to do some prep for the topic i didn't do any of that this week i thought we would just uh pop a couple of tops here shoot the shit so bruce what happened when you got fired buddy well you know you got to go back though in order to get to 2008, you have to start 1987. Then you have to fast forward to 1991. Well, I got fired the first time, the very first time that I got fired, I got fired by Vince McMahon and he actually had me fire myself. Lack of a better term in the middle of the meeting, I came back from vacation and he asked me to come into the office while I was still technically on vacation that he wanted to talk to me. I showed up in pink shorts, flip-flops, and a uh, pink striped workout shirt. And we sat down, and Vince said, Pal, in the immortal words of the big cat, Ernie Ladd, and I finished the sentence. I said, the man's a genius. He fired my ass. And he said, yep, pal, we're going to let you go. And and that was it. And, and I look back on that time, and this is not, you know, probably what, what people want to hear because you know they want the juicy details of gossip and bullshit and and rarely i think do people come forward and say you know what i fucked up i was a kid i was 28 years old at that time Uh, i thought i had the world by the balls i could do no wrong and there was no way they could fire me 
because I was invincible. You know, shit, uh, they needed me. They had to have me. The entire company would collapse without me. I made myself very difficult to deal with, and, and I was hard to work with. I didn't want to work with the people that, that he put over me, he brought in a, a, an executive producer and had me answer to him. And I essentially said, fuck you, and I didn't want to do it because I was a spoiled brat. And uh, I lost my job and lost my dream because of it. So that was the first time, and he, and he brought me back in 1992. The deal when he brought me back was simply that I would work with him and Pat, and I didn't have to deal with anybody else because <laughs> um, I didn't play well with others, I guess you could say, at times. But that lasted for, for a long time, so 92 to 2008 was a pretty good run, I thought anyway. So uh, how does the uh, hiring of you – let's go – we get this question fucking all the time. When were you fired the first time? When did you come back? Because we get questions about when are you going to talk about this? When are you going to talk about that? Well, if we just tell people very plainly here where the gap was, maybe we'll stop getting those questions. May, I was fired in May of 1991, and I was rehired in August of 1992. After SummerSlam 92, you were not at SummerSlam 92. Correct. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, Labor Day, Labor Day weekend of 1992. So with the very first TV back from SummerSlam in 1992 was my first date back in Hershey Coliseum in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So that, that's the gap from May 1991 to September 1992. I was gone. Hiatus. As Vince used to say, I always used to to joke. I said, oh, no, that was during the time I was fired. God damn it, pal, you were just on hiatus. So I had about a, a year and two-month hiatus from the company. And what did you do during that year and two months? I didn't do much of anything for a long time. I, I moved back to Texas, and I did uh, smoked a lot of pot, drank a lot of beer, <laughs> and... Went to Heartbreakers Gentlemen's Club in Dickinson, Texas, damn near every night. So I, I had a good time. I, I damn near killed myself on a boat, hit the jetties doing about uh, 45 miles an hour on a boat, came to an abrupt halt, about chopped my head off, got life flighted out of the, the Galveston Bay, uh, went to Hong Kong for a month, and... Then went, uh, I was going to go back to work for WCW, going to go to work for WCW when Vince called. I said, what are you doing, pal? Want to come back? And I wanted to come, I wanted to come back and I wanted to right my wrong. So I, I came back, uh, that September, 1992. So I don't think that a lot of people know that whole story. Kind of share that story with everybody about, uh, your conversations with WCW, how you almost went to WCW, and then ultimately uh, wound up coming back home. Well, I really wanted, I really wanted to go back to the WWF. That's home. what I knew. That's where I'd left, and that was that was my dream. I, I just wanted to go back there. I had an idea. We told this before about coming back as Bobby Heenan Jr., bleaching my hair and coming back as Bobby Heenan's son. That fell through. 
Why, when I thought well, now let's talk about that in detail for a minute. Why did it fall through? Uh yeah, Vince said to me one day he went from loving the idea to goddamn that's just a shitty idea. That's why it fell through. I mean, he just turned on it, turned sour on it. And I don't know if he just turned sour on me or if he turned sour on the idea. I never really got a full explanation other than one day it was great, bleach your hair, we got a start date, we're bringing you in, to, God damn, that's really a shitty idea. Huh. So I figured I wasn't going to go back to the WWF. I made a few calls to folks I knew in WCW, uh, mainly Jim Ross, Dusty Rhodes, and got to talking. Dusty had an idea, wanted to bring me in as a manager and a spokesperson for, believe it or not, of, of all people, uh, this guy named Stunning Steve Austin. Baby, I got an idea. You come on in. Stunning Steve, the kid from Texas. I want you to come in and be his mouthpiece. I think we can do something with him, but it, but he needs a mouthpiece. Yeah, that's funny when you think about it now. But the original idea was for me to come in and to be a mouthpiece for the barbarian and to go to Halloween havoc with the barbarian versus sting with me managing the barbarian at Halloween havoc that year. It ended up when I didn't come in that they used cactus Jack in that role. So that falls through. And, uh, why does that fall through exactly after, um, Vince finds out about it. He brings you back, or is that the motivation and the catalyst to get you back? Is him hearing that you're about to do something there? No, Vince didn't know that I was going to do something there. Vince had made the offer. Well, he didn't make an offer. Vince calls me at home, asked me what I was doing, and then told me to call him after SummerSlam in England. And he says, "Give me a call. Let, let's let's talk." Uh, but I'm going overseas. I'm going to be gone for about four days. But I'd like to talk to you when I get back. And we hang up the phone. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. I didn't tell him I was going to WCW. I didn't, didn't say any of that. I hung up the phone. And I got to thinking about it. And I, I said, you know, th this is crazy. If he's offering me a job, I want to go back there. But he didn't offer me a job. So I just I dialed the house because it sounded like I was on the speakerphone out by the pool. And he picked up the phone. And I said, hey, I got to know something. Did you just offer me a job? Well, pal, I want to talk to you and get back. I, you know, I don't have time to discuss it right now. So, well, here's the thing. I start for WCW uh, at whatever Clash of Champions or whatever special that they had. And I need to know. I need to know if I've got another offer here. So he started talking to me and says, well, I might have something. I'd like for you to do this. I'd like for you to do that. You know, if I brought you back, uh, here's what I see for you. Uh, I see you just working with me and Pat, helping out with writing TV and the booking. And you wouldn't have to deal with the folks at the studio. You wouldn't have to deal with office people. Um, but you would deal with talent. I'd, you'd, I'd use you to produce and I'd use you to write TV. And I think those are your strong points, but you wouldn't have anybody working for you, and you wouldn't be over at the studio. Well, that was intriguing to me. What, what, I, 
What, what, why, why was the emphasis on you won't be at the studio? You won't be at the studio. You won't be at the studio. There was clearly an issue at the fucking studio. Yeah, because the the executive producer, the reason I got fired the first time, the guy I couldn't work with was still there, John Filippelli. Why couldn't you just uh, kiss ass to John Filippelli? Well, I didn't know it at the time, but Filippelli was on his way out. Oh, I see. I didn't know that at the time, but it was also Vince's way of in, insulating me and protecting me. So people that I had, I had heat with everybody at the studio, allegedly too. Everybody hated me there. Um, because you were a dick. Yeah, I was a dick. Okay. And so he was, he was going to insulate that and protect me from, protect me from myself, if you will. Right. So the idea was come in, just work with, with him and Pat who accepted the fact that I was a dick. So I, the, the idea was to keep me away from all of the bullshit and the drama and, and whatnot and use me for what I was good at, and that was creative, and that was writing television and producing talent. So how does the conversation end when you said, i got to know if I've got a job, and he keeps pushing you off? I'll talk to you when I get back. How do you end it? I told him that I had, I, I had to give WCW a decision, and if all that I had promised was a discussion, then I was going to go with WCW. But if I had a, a real job and a real offer, then I needed to know that so that I could make a, an informed decision on my part. And he actually kind of got pissed that I put him on the spot and finally ended up saying, yes, you've got a job. I want you to come back and you've, you've got a job. You don't belong in WCW pal. You'll get lost there. What do you want to be a talent for? Your strengths are behind the camera and blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, pumping up my ego. I called, I called dusty left messages for him. This was before cell phones called him uh, at the office. I called him at home. I left messages, with his wife, left messages on his answering machine, left messages with his assistant. I called Jim Ross. I called Bill Watts, who was in charge there. No one would return my calls. So I had put Vince on the spot, but I didn't give Vince a yes or no answer. I told him I had to talk to WCW out of respect, uh, you know, because they had offered me a job, a real job, before Vince did, when he had told me no before, the Bobby Heenan idea was a shitty idea. And I kept trying, and I got no callback. I got no callback. Nobody. And I left, I, I bet you I left at least five, six messages for each guy. And they nobody beat. would return. Nobody would return my call. Now, in my head, I'm thinking to myself, well, here's Dusty telling me how important I am. Right. That he's got all this shit written around me and, and all these big ideas, grandiose ideas and whatnot. That I'm going to be in a main event spot and I'm coming in and I'm going to be the mouthpiece for all these guys that are going to work with Sting as champion and what have you. And you can't even get a call back. And I can't even get a call back. So... I did the only thing I knew to do, and I wrote a letter, stuck it in a Federal Express envelope so that it would be there the next morning by 10 o'clock, and I put Vince off. And I said, Vince, I, I've got to give him the courtesy of a phone call. Because he called me later saying, okay, what's your decision? Did you talk to him? What are you going to do? I said, I haven't talked to him yet. They haven't got back to me, and I made excuses. 
I said, but I, I said, please at least give them the respect. You know, I'd, I'd give you the same respect. And of course he threw back in my face. Well, I would have called you back, pal. Sure. So I, I send the FedEx and nothing. And Vince calls me about 11 o'clock in the morning and says, well, Bruce, I'm leaving. I need to know. So, okay. Um, I guess I'm coming back. So, all right, I'll, I'll talk to you. Uh, I was going to have his assistant call me and get my travel for TV. And he said, I'll see you in, in Hershey TV when I get back. Okay, great. So come about, I don't know, maybe two, three o'clock in the afternoon that day, I finally get a call from Jim Ross. And JR is a little perturbed. The goddamn boy, Cowboy's pissed off. Dusty's pissed off. Well, what the fuck's this letter? I said, well, shit, Jim, I've been talking to Dusty. And he's telling me about all these plans. I said, I got another offer. And I wanted to discuss it. I wanted to discuss it with you guys to see the whole scope of the plans, what the money was, what kind of long-term deal that, that we were going to work out because everything was vague with Dusty. All I had from Dusty was a starting date, and you're going to manage the Barbarian at Halloween Havoc, and we're going to put you with Steve Austin. That's all I had. It was better than nothing, but now I had something to weigh it against. And I said I wanted to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and weigh it. He said, well, goddamn, kid, you know, you know Dusty and, and Bill. Bill likes you, and we're going to had all these big plans, but now the Cowboys pissed. Said, well, I got more for you to be pissed off about. Um, I'm going to work for WWF. I'm going back there. Well, goddamn, and, and he was pissed off. The Cowboy was pissed off, and then the Cowboy called and told me about all the great plans that they had for me. And my feeling was just simply that if they had. They would have called you back. They would have called me back, and they didn't. Yeah, they thought you were, um, well, fuck him. He don't have any options. We'll call him back when we get around to it. Right. And so, yeah. Just stuck in my craw. And and then here was Vince offering me a job and and did, did make a commitment and did give me the idea of exactly what he expected out of me and the long-term plans of what he saw. So I went, I went with my heart and I went back. So you come back, uh, the TV after SummerSlam 92. Do I have that right? That is correct. Along the way, there's rumor and innuendo that, uh, as our mutual friend, uh, nature boy likes to say, uh, you had a couple of stints in the joint and he don't mean jail. Uh, when did that happen? If it ever happened, because that's out there. Like that's just fact that I went to rehab. Yeah. I've never been to rehab in my life. Why is that such a common thing when people talk about your name? They say, oh, he went to rehab for this, and he had a problem with that, and blah, blah, blah. I like to party. I did my fair share of drugs in the day. I did my fair share of drinking. If there was a party to be had, I was usually there. <clears throat> but However, I – go ahead. Inpatient, outpatient, none of that, all rumor and innuendo. 100% rumor and innuendo. I have never been to an inpatient rehab facility. I've never been to an outpatient rehab facility in any way, shape, or form. I've never been treated for drug addiction in any way, shape, or form. 
So there you go, kids. How about that? But because because I partied, and if you went away, then that had to be the reason that oh well, he's he's going away, taking in, a vacation. In fairness, that is pretty common that that's the situation with everyone yeah, else. Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so were there stints besides that one hiatus where Vince said, "Go home for a little while, pal." There were stints later on uh, in, let me think here, Kids 1999, and then in 2000, 2001, the summer of 2001, my wife was diagnosed with uh, mixed follicular lymphoma and was given a few years to live, and she's still with us today, but there was a lot of heavy shit going on in my life. And we were told by doctors in the Northeast to get our affairs in order Mm. that, um, you know, she had maybe four years to live. I refused to accept that. And with Vince's blessing, I traveled around the country talking to doctors and hospitals around the country, the best in the world. And Finally ended up meeting uh, Dr. Fred Hagemeister here in Houston, who told me that he couldn't cure it, couldn't remove it, but he could sure as hell stop it and slow it down, and she would live a normal life. So we relocated to Houston with Vince's blessing on September 11th of 2001 when we were being attacked at the World Trade Center in the Pentagon. I was at MD Anderson in Houston meeting with doctors. Came back, met with Vince, and his is I'm telling him all of this. I I made a comment just incoherently, kind of made a comment like, God damn, I don't know what to do. And he I think if he could have hit me, he probably would have. They're like, God damn, pal, what do you mean you don't know what to do? You fucking put your house up for sale, you pack your family up and you move to Houston and take care of your family. All I need is your head. You gotta computer you got a phone that's all i need so vince endorsed you know me moving back to houston i moved to houston got everything situated i took time away from the business with his blessing to move everybody get everyone settled uh my wife was going through chemo and some heavy treatments at the time so i was a stay-at-home dad for a couple months until i could get help established in my house and we had to hire an au pair from, I forget where they, Czechoslovakia, from the Czech Republic, to come in and live in my home to take care of my wife and kids while I went back on the road. Let's run through that. You can't hide money if you know what an au pair is and you had one. <laughs> well, an au pair is a lot, a lot uh, more affordable than a nanny, pal. But, yeah, we had an au pair. So that was one stint when, but again, I didn't want to share what was going on yeah, in my life. You kept all that close to the vest. And, and, you know, early episodes of this show, we would always kind of just talk around this and we would never just say it because you just didn't want it out there. And some of that, whenever you're kind of coy with what's really going on, people just assume that you're trying to save face and skirt, you know, saying oh well i had a 
I had a pill problem or I was a cocaine addict or blah, blah, blah. They don't just automatically assume, oh, dude's got a situation with his wife. Right. And I, I didn't want to deal with everybody coming up to me and go, hey, sorry about your wife. Right. I didn't want to hear that. I dealt with it every fucking day. Yeah. So why not come to work and not have to hear about it? Exactly. I would, frankly, I would have rather had people think that I was pill head and a fuck up and in rehab than everybody coming up to me and telling me they were sorry about it. Yeah. So that was my choice. That's how I chose to handle it. And I look back on it. I don't regret it. Um, as, as the years went on, there were a few more times that she, I don't want to say take a turn for the worse because she's absolutely healthy and cancer free right now. Um, times were more, there were more challenges. There, there were more challenges and, and I would go away and I didn't offer any explanation. I don't, I don't feel that I owed anybody any, any explanation. I'd done my time and I was still doing my time and I still did my job. I did it from Houston. I did it long distance and I wasn't as accessible and I wasn't as forthcoming with people. I didn't share my life with everybody, as I said, because I I didn't feel I had to and I didn't want to. I dealt with a lot of it internally and didn't for me to do what I'm doing right now. That's a big deal. Huge fucking deal. And there's absolutely no way that 16 years ago that you would have ever gotten any of this shit out of me. So it was the way that I dealt with things, and that's how I chose to deal with them. Hindsight being twenty twenty, I look back, I don't know that I would have done anything different. So let's fast forward now to 2008. Is that where we need to be, or does it kind of start in 2008? This Mother's Day and Father's Day, look no further for the perfect gift than PaintYourLife.com. It's worked for me every time, and when I say every time, I mean it. I've used PaintYourLife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now, I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law, all from PaintYourLife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for Mother's Day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple, too. All we needed was a a picture from our phone. Boom, we're up and running. You see, PaintYourLife.com can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper 
and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to 87204. That's wrestle to 87204. Text wrestle to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I would have to say that it, it probably started really, again, going back maybe even 2000 because that was when I left Talent Relations and went back to creative and went back on the writing team. And Vince was making the transition to putting Stephanie in charge of creative and putting Stephanie in charge of the writing team. And Vince really wanted me to try and help Steph teach her the ins and outs of writing television to teach her the nuances of producing talent and bring her up to speed. Again, I I had done a lot of the same with Shane through the years, and this was my opportunity to do it with Steph. So I I was brought on to the, to the writing team kind of, uh, to help out there. I was brought on as, as another writer for the team but also as an advisor for Steph and Vince had asked me to please just kind of help her and, and guide her. And I think that she used me, she used Michael Hayes for advice and just kind of help her along the way and, in, in guiding the writing team and, and helping her in her new position. So as, as time went on, I was the old horse, you know, I'd, I had been there since 1987 next events and and for the years leading up to that many years it was just me pat and vince and stephanie was that kid that used to go get us tylenol and go to the little red store and bring us lunch when we would sit out by the pool hung over from the night before um now she's she's grown up graduated from college with a degree and she's your boss. She's my boss and an important cog in the wheel. So that was, for me, people would always ask me, hey, how is that? How's the transition? It wasn't that difficult. It really wasn't. Until much later when the lines kind of got blurred. And what I mean by the lines kind of getting blurred when Stephanie went away and, and, and had her first child, there was a time that either Vince or Stephanie had to approve everything that we did, whether it be pre-tapes in the back or if you wrote something or if you produced something, they would approve it. As time went on and Stephanie went and, and had her, her first child, 
that became Bruce. And Bruce was the guy that would approve things. And Bruce is the guy that would, would look at it. I hated approving scripts because that's just not my bag. But for pre-tapes and interviews and working with talent, uh, that was my forte. And guys would come to me to get it approved. And Vince kind of gave me carte blanche. When Stephanie came back uh, after first child, she took over those duties again. And then when she had her second child, she went away once again. It was Bruce. So the the writers, the producers, the talent, I think everyone um, got comfortable with Bruce because I wasn't. I wasn't a McMahon. I didn't have the same uh, boisterous, God damn, let's do it again. Or let's do it again. Let's do it again. How about one more time? I didn't do that. I, I like to kind of like Clint Eastwood. Here I am comparing myself to Clint Eastwood. You ready for this? Yep. I like to get a natural read from guys. I like to get their natural feel. And I felt if talent had to do things more than once or twice that you lost the feeling of it. So it was just a basic philosophical difference. When Steph came back from her, her second child, um, I think people had a, had a comfort with me there, and I think Vince had a comfort with me there. But that was Stephanie's role. And instead of people going to Steph for approval and people going to Steph to have things done, they came to me because that's what they had done for the last three months, including her father. So when she came back and people were kind of bypassing her, that that became an issue. And I was asked by Steph to to not approve things and, and to bring everything to her. And that resulted in a bottleneck. It kind of resulted in, in one of the situations where we were given a mandate to get pre-tapes done by 530 in the afternoon. Well, if you got to get pre-tapes done by 5.30 in the afternoon, you have to get talent ready, you have to get your crews ready, get everything shot and approved by 5.30. But if the people that are doing the approving are not available until after 5.30, then it's impossible to get it done before 5.30. You follow me? Yep. So uh, Steph was on the road, and she, she had both of her children with her. And she was a mom, man. And she was on her bus. A lot of times she wouldn't be available till after 5.30. I would catch the wrath for things not getting done before 5.30. But if I approved anything before 5.30, I would catch the wrath for not bringing it to the person that was supposed to approve it. So it was just a tough, it was a tough place to be. It was a, it was a tough I was between a rock and a hard place because it wasn't just the other writers and, and other producers. It was also her dad. And Vince, Vince would lean on me and ask me questions and, and ask for input from me that I would give him because that's what I had done for 22 plus years. But there was a feeling that by giving my input directly to Vince that I was um, going over her head. 
So it just was an awkward situation. And I don't know that I did anything to try and help and improve that. And all of this, I, I do want to make clear. And it's just because I, I, I believe at the end of the day, all of your decisions and shit that happens to you in life, you can go look yourself in the mirror and, and see the person to blame usually. So could I have made the situation better? Yes, I could have. But I didn't. And I fell in I fell into a trap, man. I fell into a trap where it put Stephanie in a bad position, put me in a bad position to where Guess what? One of us had to go because we were both doing the same thing. I was unhappy. I was miserable on the road. I was miserable on these marathon phone calls. I let it be known that I was miserable. I had started a business with John Layfield that I thought was going to be my an- the answer to my prayers or that I could get out of the wrestling business and and be a millionaire and live a happy life. So I didn't give a fuck anymore. So I I have to say that, that I just kind of stopped trying. And I didn't work at the relationship. I didn't work at it. And um, just found I got fired. Did you ever have a specific comp- pre-firing? Did you have a conversation with Vince about... Stephanie relationship. I asked Vince for help in Orlando at the pay-per-view in Orlando. Uh, that year we, we sat. That's WrestleMania 24, right? Yes. Okay. We sat in his office, uh, at the hotel and I told him that I felt there was a big communication issue there with Steph. I, I didn't <laughs> here. Tell me if this doesn't just sound childish as shit. Again, you look back, and and I take the blame. And I said, you know what? I I just don't think Steph likes me very much. (laughs) So that was my, you know, that was my excuse. But I sat down with him, and I said, man, I'm 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 having a hard time communicating with her, and I don't know what to do. I need some help. I wanted to get out of. The television writing, I wanted to do stuff with WWE Studios and the movies. I wanted to learn how to make movies. I wanted to produce a movie. I wanted to direct a movie. I just wanted to do anything where I could grow and do something else (laughs) and kind of get away from the wrestling business for a little while. Um, Vince said he he felt me, he understood, and that he he would try and, and help me asked me to come up with a business plan to do something else that I I came up with. I, I sent him a plan to, to make the switch over to the WWF studios and try my hand there. I wanted to learn the movie business, and I felt that I could be of value working with talent on that side, but also learning how to work with talent in movies and watching a movie director, direct talent, and bring that back to the wrestling side, if that makes any sense to you. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to be the wrestling guy to go learn the movie business to bring some of those techniques back to the, the television and wrestling business. And nothing really 
developed because during that summer, during that time, that was when Steph was gone um, during her maternity leave with her second child. I think maybe Vince thought, and this is just me speculating, that with Steph away on maternity, that things would just work themselves out. She comes back, everything will be fine, and, and there's no need to make a move. There's no need to make a change. It'll all work itself out and be fine. But I, I dare say that it was probably worse when she got back because people had gotten more embedded and, and just a little more used to talking to you. Yeah. Was there a specific situation that you can think back to where that had happened? So, um, there's a directive from someone and rather than go to Stephanie, they come to you and that being kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, at least in your mind. I can remember a specific, I can remember a couple of specific instances where Vince point blank asked me questions. I point blank gave him an answer that got back to Stephanie and she said, well, who told you that? And he said, Bruce, when she came to me and said, well, why did you tell Vince this? I said, because he asked me. And the response was that I should have gone to her and had her deal with Vince. That's just not realistic when you're dealing with Vince McMahon in a live environment and, and you're under the gun. So I said, what am I supposed to do when he asked me a question? She says, just tell him that you've got to run it by me and that you need that I need to answer that for him and, and come and get me. So in the middle of a live show, Vince asked me uh, something, and I said just that. I said, uh, Vince, I said, I need to get Seth. And that didn't go over real well with Vince. What did he say? So, Fuck that! Um, to quote him. And and I answered his question, but I also got Steph, and I informed her what happened. Well, it, ba- it double backfired because then Vince chewed her out. Uh-huh. And then chewed me out, and then I get chewed out by both of them at the same time. And I don't know if I could have handled it in a different way. I, I was just put in some really shitty, shitty situations. I think that because of my relationship with Vince over the years, that I would speak to him in a way. Let's see if I phrase this right. That I could get away with that other people couldn't speak to him like. Yeah. I could say, fuck that. Anybody else to say that, that would be very disrespectful. Right. However, I do feel that that Steph looked at that, that I was disrespecting not only her father, but the chairman of the company. And it's important to mention in all of this, you're doing that as someone who's worked with him for more than 20 years. Correct. And when we say work with, we mean once upon a time... You know, there wasn't a Titan Towers and there wasn't a shareholder meeting and there wasn't 12 pay-per-views a year. And this wasn't a billion dollar company and there weren't two writing staffs. It was three dudes sitting around a pool in Connecticut. Hey, what about this? Exactly. So I had that relationship with Vince. I don't think Vince ever took it as disrespectful. And... But I also, again, hey, devil's advocate, hindsight being twenty twenty, being able to step back and look at it. 
I can see where Stephanie was right saying, hey, when you say that in front of other people, they don't know your relationship with Vince of 22 plus years. That's a fair criticism. So when they hear you say it, then then that makes right. Yeah, they feel justified in saying it. Right. So she's right in that regard. I just was set in my ways, an old-timer, crotchety old man that was set in my ways, and here's this young whippersnapper coming in, and she thinks she knows everything because she's the boss's daughter. Um, and I never really I never really viewed her that way. I viewed her as Steph. I viewed her as very bright. Um, we had differences of opinion all the time. The fact that I had differences of opinion with Vince, to me, worked. I think I... To Vince, it worked because I didn't share his ideas. I didn't share his point of view on a lot of things. So we argued about a lot and could work things out. With Steph, if you disagreed with her, I I think sometimes she took it as being insubordinate um, and trying to, you know, I don't know. Well, let's run through that because – I know a lot of people are going to say that, oh, we're kissing ass or whatever. But also, too, she's kind of in a lose-lose situation, too. I've never been in this situation. I do work with my parents, but I started my company. So in a weird way, my parents work for me, which is an interesting dynamic. But I can imagine in a situation like this, you know, everybody feels like they can just bypass her. And that whatever she's thinking about or whatever is important to her you know, doesn't matter because in the end we can just go over you. You're only here because of your daddy. And so she needs to exert some control every now and again, I'm sure. And she needs to be cognizant of how things look. And so that matters how things look matter more maybe to her than they do to Vince, who is without question. I mean, he is the unquestioned rather, you know, alpha and omega of the company. And what he says goes, and there's no negotiation in that. And there's no worry about how things look or are perceived. But in her case, she's got to be more mindful of that. Very true. And that that's fair because people look at her as she's only here because of this or that. And we don't have to really, and you better watch out for her and blah, blah, blah. And I'm it's, sure she had to deal with some of that, but, but where people were just dismissive of her talents and just assume that she can contribute nothing simply because her last name was McMahon. So instead of her being smarter and better at this because her last name is McMahon, on some level she's viewed as being more inept and inadequate because she's only here because she's a McMahon. Not saying that she is. I'm just saying that's certainly a line of thinking. And the flip side of that, too, Shane and I used to look at each other sometimes after some of the ass chewings we used to get. And he would just laugh because we would get the ass chewing 10 times what anybody else would because he knew you. Yeah, he knew me. Shane was his kid. Stephanie was his kid. So those ass chewings were a thousand times worse than anybody else's. Right because of that comfort level with us. So, yeah, and and I was on that same plane, so I felt for the kids. I felt for both Shane and Stephanie in that regard. It sucked. So it was was a no-win, kind of rocking hard place, and I understood the, 
you know, I understood the decision, man. I, I, I wasn't the most cooperative and hindsight being 2020 on, on dealing with Vince. I don't know how I could have done that differently. I really and truly don't. And I've tried, um, but maybe I could have dealt with Steph differently. And I, and I think I could have, I think I could have dealt with her a little bit differently and been able to massage that situation better. So here's where, uh, it's not cutting time. There's rumor and innuendo out there. And I heard this for the first time two years ago, but people who are listening, not all of them, many of them have heard this. There's rumor and innuendo that, uh, the reason, the real reason you're not there is you pulled a gun on some writers. And I don't know how that got out there. And I don't know exactly the context of which this is reported and span. It wasn't in any major news releases. The news websites said that they felt like uh, you weren't necessary because Stephanie had kind of stepped into your role. But then there's this groundswell of, well, Bruce pulled a gun on that guy. And some of that comes from a Nova shoot interview with RF video. Set the record straight. You pull a gun on some dudes. Yeah. Bruce had a gun. Um, it was hurricane Ike. We left our home in league city, Texas, and I had a gun in the house and we were told to evacuate. So I took the gun with me, went up to Athens, Texas to John Layfield's house with my family. But I had to get to TV, which was in Nashville. I didn't want to leave my wife and kids with a gun in Layfield's house, and I was driving, so I took the gun with me. While there, I was going to fly back. I was told, well, turn in your, your rental car. I had planned on driving back to uh, Athens, pick up my family, and then go home. But while there, I was told, hey, you know, you, you got a rental car. Just turn the rental car in. We'll fly you home. So I got uh, Bruno Lauer. We were, we were in Nashville. And I got Bruno to get me a – he had a, uh, a gun box with a lock on it. And I asked uh, the head of security. I said, hey, I'm, I've got a gun. I got to get it back on a plane. What do I do? And he says, well, here's what you do. you got to get a box. It's got to be locked. you got to have a, a key, and then you've got to check it. You've got to claim it at baggage, but you have to check it, and you have to fill out all this paperwork. So Bruno knew I had a gun. Uh, security guy knew I had a gun. In addition to that, the last night of the TV. Uh, Did you say the security guy's name? It was Jim Kelly. Okay. Great guy. Real nice guy. Super nice guy. I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times. Uh, really, really cool guy. Former NFL background. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Yeah, he's he's cool as shit. Um, so I, I went, and some guys asked me to go out that night, and I told them that I had to put my gun up in the safe. Uh, people knew I had the gun, and stories kind of go from there. So the, the story gets back that, that Bruce pulled the gun, and that was one thing Stephanie asked me. Um, I told her the story. Uh, 
and we talked about other things and we disagreed and she says, well, I'm going to ask you to leave. And if you don't, you know, like that, I mean, basically you, you can leave now. We were in Boston. Well, you're skipping around. Well, we, we talked, we talked about, we talked about a lot of things. We, we talked about the, the issue with the stuff with Vince that I just went over. And then the, she said, then there's this gun issue. She calls a meeting. She calls a meeting in Boston before the survivor series. So this is November of 2008. Yes. And you, when she calls a meeting, this is during the show, right before the show, right after the show. No, she asked me, no, she asked me to come in early. Okay. In, early before the show. So I came in before anybody got there. And then she asked me, uh, she asked me about the gun. She asked me if I'd pulled a gun on someone. I said, no. And she said, we went on and I'm going to ask you to leave. And I said, okay, I got up and left. And it was that cut and dry from there. And I'm thinking about this and, and I just thought, God damn, man, this is fucking crazy. And I told her the whole story. I told her the Ike story and going, and she said, I can't believe you brought a gun to work. I said, okay. Um, I did. Sorry. Fucked up. But a week later was the next time we talked. We asked me, she asked me not to speak to anybody. Hang on. Let me, let me ask this though. She says, you brought a gun to work, so you're fired. No, No. she didn't say I'm fired. Okay. But she didn't. Did she accuse you of pulling the gun on someone? She asked me if I did. And you said no. Yes. And did she say other people said you did? No, she said she would look into it. Okay. She said that she asked me to leave. So I left, and she asked me not to speak to anybody and asked uh, everyone not to speak to me. Who else was in the room when this happens? No one. Just me and Seth. Who's outside? Somebody. It's not just you two guys off in the corner. There's somebody nearby. No, No, it's me and Stephanie in the room by ourselves, and Hunter was outside. Okay. Where's, Where's Vince? He wasn't there. Did you see Vince at all that day? When, when had you most recently talked to Vince before this meeting? Probably the week before. Had you been on vacation for the two weeks leading to, up to this? Yes. As a matter of fact, I think I had. The only reason I know that is because it comes out on WrestlingInc.com. Um, as reported earlier, WWE released Bruce Pritchard on Monday. He had been with the company for 22 years with the exception of a brief time period. He was uh, His firing was a Stephanie McMahon call. As noted last night, Pritchard was not at TV the past two weeks, and people were told he was on vacation. Stephanie had been negative on Pritchard in recent years, as she saw him as Vince McMahon's biggest yes-man. She's buried him in the past, sometimes in front of others at creative meetings, believing he was not paying attention and or not giving and or giving non-committal answers. She made the official call to cut him loose. With Pritchard being a senior member in WWE, he had a large contract that Stephanie could justify cutting, Although he often complained about taking a pay cut when he moved from head of talent relations to creative. In the past, he was an important member of the creative team, but not so much in recent months. He had largely lost contact with Vince. He was supposed to attend meetings at WWE's headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, two weeks every month, but more recently, it was more like two days every eight to ten weeks. The creative team was not giving a reason regarding his dismissal from the company. Bruce Pritchard is the brother of Tom Pritchard, who currently works with WWE's developmental talents in Tampa, Florida. 
Bruce Pritchard has had numerous drug problems in the past, which caused him to miss job promotions in the company as a result. He was supposed to land the head of television role, head of television role. Mm. Wow. Uh, producer Kevin Dunn ended up taking. Uh, since 2004, WWE required Pritchard to take urine tests once per week. Regarding his future, it wouldn't be surprising to see Pritchard wind up in TNA. He is close to TNA wrestler Jeff Jarrett since both of their wives have battled cancer. Pritchard was quite upset when Jarrett's wife Jill passed away last year as a result of the de- disease to the point that some people were worried about him. Pritchard was a major supporter of Undertaker and John Bradshaw Layfield. In fact, Pritchard is listed as one of the VPs of JBL's company. So let's poke that uh, up right fast. Were you taking drug tests once a week? No, but I did take random drug tests, yeah. Uh, What prompted that? The rumor and innuendo that I took a lot of drugs. Uh, did anybody, and, and just, just to be clear on that, that was actually a suggestion of mine. I said, okay, hang on guys. If you're going to accuse me of doing drugs and having a drug issue, test me, fucking test me. So where did, is somebody writing you out? Is somebody saying they saw you passed out at a hotel or you're, you know, sleep at the wheel or. Your well, I had, hey, man, I had my fair share of, of partying. I had my fair share of, of times where I was fucked up. But I wasn't fucked up when I was at work. And, again, rumor and innuendo. So when they go, bros, you're partying too much. Hey, you, if you think I'm partying too much, if you think I'm doing drugs, test me. And show me one test, one test ever that I've ever failed. Because you can't. I never have. Ever. I've never been to rehab for drugs, alcohol, anything else, and I've never failed a drug test. Ever. Uh, and you've never been arrested for drugs? Never been arrested for drugs. Um, Brother Love got like to smoke weed and drink. True? Oh, yeah. Bruce loved to smoke dope and... <laughs> Fuck yeah. Anything else? Did you, uh, did you do too many somas once upon a time like so many other wrestlers we've heard in the past? I used to take somas too, yeah. You used to take somas, you used to take painkillers, you used to take Valium. But I like it, to come down because I'm always up here all the time, so I like to take something to relax. But in your perspective, you never had an issue with any of those prescriptions. Anybody who takes recreational drugs will tell you no they never had a problem with any of that in my in my mind no i never did and no i never went to rehab and no again i never failed the drug test either uh did you feel like you were ever and they were all observed too uh, who would look at that willy for you oh they would have someone come into the room with you who was the hog- to, you who, have, you who's the hog watcher oh, you ha- no, you had to go. You had to go in, and they had like a, a someone from the drug testing. Oh, thing. okay. You had to drop. You had to drop your pants to your knees, and then pee. Pull your shirt up. I kid you not, man. You had to pull your shirt up to your chest, drop your pants, and pee. Um, it says in here that you were supposed to go two weeks every month to Stanford, but you kind of slacked on that. Is that a fair criticism? Well, especially <laughs> no, that's not a fair criticism. the The funny part about that, and especially at this time, like you talk about my two weeks yeah. before I came back there, I would save up 
my vacation time. And I would save up my vacation time to take it around the holidays so that I could kind of skip when we would do those long TVs and we would do three and four TVs in a row. I would time my vacation so that I would miss the multiple days on the road. Um, so during that, during that vacation time, it would be, oh, you don't need to come in during that. Come into the office. So I would lose that extra week in the office where I would be, instead of two weeks, I would only do one week in November, and then I would do one week in December. That's all. Uh, and that was, only, that was the only time of the year. And Vince, I remember, caught on to it and said, God damn, pal, you and this Christmas vacation is getting fucking ridiculous. You ever think about taking vacation during the summer like everybody else? I said, no, because everybody else takes it during the summer. I I want to be home with my family during the holidays. Let me ask this. Um, As you're kind of talking about shuffling and vacation and stuff like that, people on this very podcast network in the past have said that you were lazy. Was that a perception that comes from your creative vacationing aspect here? Um, no, it was probably perceived that I was lazy because I was in Houston and they were all in Stanford. So, well, well, they're all in a room having to work in an office. I'm at home waiting for them to call me. What, uh, that's pretty good gig. What, what do you make of the, um, assertion here that you could have been in Kevin Dunn's spot, but you were that, that is absolutely hilarious because When I came back in 92, that was when John Filippelli was on his way out and Kevin Dunn had put together the business plan and, and proposal to move him into that spot with, with two other guys. So I was never in consideration to be the executive producer, and that was always Kevin Dunn post-John Filippelli. So I don't know where the hell that one comes from. Uh, Nova, in his shoot interview and uh, this report here, uh, both uh, attributed to Stephanie, both have a narrative that you were a Vince McMahon. Yes, man. Is that a fair criticism? Absolutely not. And I think if you were asked Vince McMahon, that question, he would agree with me and tell me that was probably the furthest thing from a yes, man. I disagreed with him more than anybody. Uh, this says in here, in here, She's buried him in the past, sometimes in front of others at creative team meetings for not paying attention and or giving non-committal answers. Uh, do you remember her trying to embarrass you in a meeting like that? No, I really don't. So that's just somebody freestyling some bullshit? Yeah, I think so. So when you get... Oh, this is worth mentioning. It says that you had kind of fallen out of favor with Vince. Did you go through a period where you and Vince weren't getting along and weren't speaking regular? In the 90s, yes. But not here? No, not at this point, no. So in 2008, we're in November, Survivor Series in Boston. Triple H is outside the door. When you walk out the door after she said, I'm going to ask you to leave, this is before the pay-per-view starts. Do you speak to Triple H as you exit the room? I said goodbye, yeah. Is there any sort of uh, thank you or take care? Or Absolutely is it- no, nothing. Um, and you don't speak to anyone else and you just leave? I just left, yep. 
walked out the door, got a taxi, went to the airport. uh, I've heard, I don't know this to be true, but I've heard that when somebody leaves there that was kind of on the inside like this, they routinely instruct everyone else, now don't call anybody, don't call him, don't call them. Um, Did anybody, do you know if they put that edict out there for you and who broke it? I was told they put that edict out there for me. And who called? Now, if you don't feel that comfortable adding someone, let's go the other way. Who didn't call? Who, who obeyed? <laughs> let's go the other way. Um, Kevin Dunn called. Wow. What's Brian Gort called. And. Um, a lot of talent called. But, John Cena reached out. But um, that's all I feel comfortable mentioning. Yeah. Well, because Kevin Dunn's above reproach. Somebody's going to fuck with Kevin. Well, when Kevin calls, what's that conversation sound like? Asked me how I was doing and just told me how sorry he was and I was gone. And that was about it. But it was a very cordial, very nice conversation. It was nice to hear from him. Uh, what about Brian? Brian, uh, again, was just very, very simple, very cordial, wished me the best, and said he was sorry. Cena was like, what the fuck? Love you. You need anything, give me a call. Taker, I talked to Taker. Obviously Bradshaw, but um, a few other talent. I can't. I, I don't really remember off the top of my head. But the uh, I wasn't fired till the next week, and, and the next week was was on a Monday, and I got a phone call, and it was about five seconds. Hey Bruce, this is Stephanie. I'm very sorry to let you know, but we're going to let you go. Here's Danielle with Human uh, Resources, and she started to. Uh, she started to talk, and I said, hey, Danielle, uh, I'm just going to have you talk to my attorney, and uh, I'll let you guys work everything out. And that was the extent of it. it, wasn't, it it's funny. It's all, it was almost like a huge weight coming off your shoulders. Um, I was sad. I was mad. I was angry. I was pissed off. But I was relieved. And looking forward as to this being the rest of my life. So that was a, that was a pivotal moment. And I don't know. I, I'm, I was very bitter at first. I didn't watch wrestling for, for a good solid year, at least like at all. I went to WrestleMania 25 that year in Houston, but other than that, I didn't watch wrestling at all. Two on the back. What's that? Did you go in the back? No. So you just bought a ticket and sat in the crowd? Well, I had tickets uh, with uh, my good friend Rob Taylor, and he insisted that I go because my son really wanted to go. And Rob was talked me into it and said, you know, you need to go. You need to be, be bigger than that. I didn't want to go. 
but he knew how much my son really wanted to go and we went and I sat in the third row and enjoyed the show. But I didn't go in the back, didn't talk to anybody. I talked to a couple of the referees that walked by, but that was about it. So that's the story, man. That's all there is. Not as, as interesting as, you know, rumor and innuendo would have you. What was the official reason you were given? Frankly, uh, there was no official reason other than I, I was just terminated. And I let I let my attorney deal with them. It was there was never any official reason given other than I was terminated. I had my severance package laid out. Um, how would you write? How, how would you write your severance package? I would write my severance package good and fair. Well, fair in that it was fair and good in that the, they took care of me, and, and I thought they were they were very generous and very nice about it. But again, I didn't have I didn't negotiate it. I didn't speak to anybody there after that roughly 30 seconds uh, on the phone call. That when, was about it. When did Shane McMahon leave the company? Shane left maybe six months later, if even that. Did y'all have a conversation? We had a conversation six months after Shane left. Whatever that time frame is, six months to the day Shane called me. And? Called to say hello, tell me he loved me, and said, well, you know. Said, well, I'm gone. (laughs) And that was about it. But we've talked over the years, and... I've got a good relationship with Shane. I've talked to Stephanie since then. I've got, you know, um, everything's fine now. Not going back there anytime soon, but. Certainly not. Um, I feel like you're not telling us everything. Like what? I feel like there's more to this gun situation the rumor and innuendo is that you pulled it on riders and you're not going to say that the official reason that you left is that you pulled the gun on riders and you didn't tell us a story where you pulled a gun on riders no i told you what happened now you're talking about a story what people say and rumor and innuendo and bullshit so you know that's you, you, fine to tell us the whole rumor I'm, tell, innu- I'm telling i'm telling you exactly what happened? I'm telling you exactly the extent of what was said when I was terminated and exactly how that was handled. And that was the end of it. If you had to try to connect the dots, if we were playing conspiracy theorist, do you believe that Stephanie created a narrative where she wanted to get rid of Bruce Pritchard? She wanted your lazy yes man undermining ass out of her hair and out of her way so she tried to craft a narrative that had some element of truth to it which is bruce had a gun there and then spin some yarn into he pulled it on some underlings he can't be in a position of power and in fact because it involves a gun he's a dangerous threat and the company, which is publicly traded, would be liable. So this is a justifiable reason to just cut bait. But we can feel better about it 
if we give him a really good severance package. I'm just freestyling. Well, I believe that narrative exists. But again, I'm not big on narrative and bullshit. So to me, that's what it is, is bullshit. And at this point in my life, I don't give a fuck. And I don't care whatever anybody else, whatever anybody else's narrative is, whatever anybody else wants to think or what they want to say. Because I've moved on with my life. And I just have the attitude of next. It's so, yeah, I'm sure that narrative exists. I'm sure that narrative is out there. Um, you don't believe that to be the case, personally? I don't care. I really don't care anymore. I don't. I don't give a fuck. Right after it happened, did you believe you had been, quote-unquote, set up or framed? Right after it happened, I was unhappy and didn't like it at all. I, You know, I'm not even going to get into that shit. It's... I say yes. Doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. No, I agree. It doesn't matter. You're not there. You hadn't been there for a long time. They're doing great. And it's worth mentioning. You said a minute ago, you've talked to Stephanie since, and y'all are somehow on good terms. We are. What did that conversation sound like when you had a subsequent conversation with Stephanie? Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? It was just normal as shit. Moved on. It, it was. What are the circumstances by, by, by which that happens? Where are you? When is this? Oh, God. This was probably during a time. I mean, I had conversations with Vince while I worked with TNA. I, I talked to Vince after my first heart attacks. Um, talked to Stephanie after that. I, I was looking for a job after I left TNA, and I talked to Stephanie then. But, um, you know, it, it was all friendly. It was all fine. But you got kind of the cult. I mean, you didn't tell me this, but why why wouldn't the WWF be interested in bringing you back after you left TNA? Did she give you the cold shoulder? No, she spoke to me. But you'd have to ask them that question. Well, what what, what did she say, though, Bruce? Don't, we, we don't have anything for you. Okay. Um, what was your first conversation with Vince like post-firing? emotional where did you uh, did you talk to him in person or on the phone or how does that happen I, I spoke i spoke to him in person in houston when they had a they had a show in houston and i went down and met with vince and we had a good talk at the building um, no met him at the hotel but it was it was i would have to say it, it was just very i don't want to say superficial but it was uh Hey, I love you and move on with our life and next. And I just felt because I hadn't spoken to Vince. You felt like you had, you needed some closure. I needed closure. Yeah. And ultimately I'm freestyling. You haven't said this. Um, Vince is probably in a really shitty position here too, because even if he didn't get whatever your beef was with Stephanie, or maybe it didn't make sense, or he didn't give a shit. He can't undermine his daughter and go against his daughter, right? No, he can't. And you kind of shouldered some of that at the beginning of this by saying you could have handled it better because you probably just, as many people would, assume, well, fuck, I've been here 20-something years. If I haven't proved my worth by now, then fuck it. But on the other hand, well, that doesn't mean you can undermine the daughter because she ain't going nowhere, right? Exactly. 
So if you had it to do over again, in your opinion, what was the bigger mistake? Taking the gun on the road or not not handling the political climate with Stephanie a little better? All the above. It's kind of like when I give the give the speech to guys who may have a problem with alcohol or or drugs okay and if you got a guy that has a problem with alcohol don't go to the bar don't be seen in the bar don't give him an opportunity to talk about you don't give him don't put yourself in a situation that allows anybody to say anything if they have a nugget of truth or a nugget of anything that puts you in a bad situation. I put myself in a bad situation by having a gun. I put myself in a bad situation by maybe by the way that I told Vince the directive that I had from Stephanie. And I look at myself, 100% of the blame comes on me. At the end of the day, I put it all on me. Blame absolutely no one but myself. So to that that's what it is. Would I, you know, what would I do different again? I don't know. Really don't. I probably would have made the uh, the reviews and the subscriptions about fifteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, that's your biggest mistake for sure. We we covered some stuff, you know, but I didn't think we would. It's it's uncomfortable to talk about, and it's uncomfortable. But at the same time, it, it's it's uh, it's just a weight off your shoulders. So you can just go next, man. Fucking next. Done with it. I, I don't give a fuck what other people's narratives are. I don't give a fuck what other people think. Um, I'm happy uh, if if all that shit hadn't happened. Who knows what else would have happened? Hell, you and I never would have met. We wouldn't have the fucking hottest uh, goddamn podcast in the world right now, would we? Roll Tide. Hey, listen, I'm all about it. The, the listeners have uh, have greatly benefited from this, as have you and I. And it's worth mentioning, you know, I know that there's going to be a whole bunch of people who try to villainize this. I cannot state this clearly enough. Stephanie McMahon is not this um, evil bitch that this... That I don't know where this concept comes from, but I've met her many times. She could not be nicer to me or my lady friend or my daughter, and they do so much for charity. And I've seen her with these children from Make-A-Wish, and she's so generous with her time. And it's not, it's not a put-on. And she said something a few years ago that people who wanted to find a reason to hate her villainized her for, where she said that, you know, brands would win when they would you know, do good through charity, some, something like that. Um, that's not, I've seen her do it. It's genuine. She really cares and wants to help people and is to that place in her life. And I've seen the way she interacts with her kids and yada, yada, yada. She's a good person. Um, but there will be, there will be things that, you know, Oh, Conrad said this and Bruce said that. no, Let's not take any away or discount anything here. Uh, this was business. Bruce admitted at the top he fucked up. Bruce also admitted he made a bad decision. Bruce is no longer there. It's not her fault that her dad runs wrestling. It's not her fault that she was 
born on third base. She's worked hard to stay there, damn it. I mean, that's reality. <laughs> and, and you know, you look at it, I put her in a shitty position. I put Absolutely. her in a position. So there's nobody else to blame but me. And, uh, again, I, I love her. Uh, I love Vince. Next. Uh, like I said, I don't give a fuck. Uh, it's worth mentioning. Some people are going to ask. Uh, you, you still, I mean, I don't know. You don't all the time, but you've spoken to Pat since then. You guys are fine. Y'all are cool. Yeah. And you even trade texts occasionally with Vince. You guys are on speaking terms and everything's fine. Yes. You get criticized on the wrestling observer, uh, message board a lot for what they call blowing Hunter because they feel like you are just deathly afraid to say anything bad about Hunter. Uh, why do you have, why? Well, maybe because you haven't ever criticized him on the show. I'm just freestyling a guess. I like the guy. I think he's a hell of a talent, and I like him. And I think that people unjustly criticize him. Yes. Because I know him, and I, I know the guy, and I've seen how hard he works, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. If he wasn't married to the boss's daughter, he'd probably still be in the position that he's in today. Well, even if he wasn't in that exact position... He'd still be, he'd be in the Michael P.S. Hayes position. He'd be, I mean, Hayes is a top executive with the company, and it's because of his knowledge. It's not because of. And his work ethic. Yes, absolutely. It's not because of, um, you know, who who he shares a household with. That's just not the case. Uh, And Hayes has proven that. If Hayes isn't the example that work ethic and, and talent overcomes all then i don't know who is because you know people have been trying to shoot him with arrows for a long time and he's still there and still very well respected because he's good and he works hard um and i feel the same way about hunter i mean that dude is first one in last one out and again just like stephanie could not be nicer or more gracious um but it is what it is man it's a family business and uh bruce you're out of the fucking family how does it feel Hey, feels great. I'm in your family now. You can't get rid of me, so fuck you. <laughs> uh, any, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the first family now, so there you go. Anything else you, you want to kind of uh, address or put a bow on here? Because it feels like we're kind of per. This is like your wrestling confessional right now. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of is. It, it's funny to be painted with the with the drug brush and, and I probably am as much to blame, you know, Roddy Piper and I used to say, <laughs> cause we were painted with the same brush. We hung out, we ran hard and, and I spoke to his children after the fact and, and they kind of laughed about it. They knew about it and what have you. But once I had kids, I started taking a lot of that into consideration and I pulled way back. Um, I deserve the reputation. I earned it. Not necessarily proud of it, but I'm not going to run away from it either. Shit happens, okay? I'm I'm still here able to talk about it. But it's funny, you, you know, you talk about drug rehab and shit. I had a conversation with my brother, Tom, not long ago, who actually asked me, he says, well, you went to rehab, didn't you? Jesus Christ, even you? No, Tom, I've never been to never been to rehab. Um 
I never got, I never got to that point. I never, um, and, and knock on wood, thank God I was able to, to pull myself back. Conrad, you and I have known each other as long as we've known each other. And in, since May of last year, how much have you seen me drink and party? I've seen you have one drink since May of last year. There you go. So I, I've changed, I've changed my ways a lot. I'd- Okay. Now, I did see Puff that Chiva a couple times, but... But a couple times, like twice, <laughs> right? See, in the old day, in the old days, it, it would have been, you know, half pound, and I'd still be going, got any more? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that that's completely... It's, it's a different world. It's a different time. I'm a different person in a different place. So I don't regret all the shit I did. I had fun doing it. And uh, to, to the haters, fuck you. I uh, don't care. Um, and to, to Stephanie, thank you for firing me. And it made me be where I am today and be in control of my life probably for the first time that I have ever been in complete control of shit. So to that, I say thank you, and I'm happier than I've ever been. When, when people call me uh, from John Layfield to Eric Bischoff to people that have known me for a long time and say, God damn, Bruce, you're the happiest I've ever fucking seen you. You're welcome. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Th- but hey, and, but folks, when I said that thank you, I'm looking at Conrad, and I said thank you because this motherfucker has helped me and, and helped me get to that place. So, you know, fuck them. I'm happy. Next. Um, I, I'm Dick. That's what I do. Hypothetically. Fuck you. Who were the writers you pulled the gun on? <laughs> oh, I don't do I, Seriously, I don't even fucking remember. I don't even remember the fucking names because it was so. I don't I don't even fucking remember. Who was on the you, writing staff at that time? There were so many fucking kids. I didn't know their names. I kid you it, not. Is the big guy was was he one of them? Um, who like jerked off the thing with Sam? Krista Joseph was he one of them? DJ was on the on the team. Of okay. what about that movie actor who did some shit with y'all? What was his name? Freddie Prince. Yeah, was he there then? Right. Freddie was there then. Uh, he had a guy, a friend of his, was on the team. Dude, I couldn't tell you their fucking names. There were new guys every week. Was Lagana there? Uh, no, I don't think he was. I think he had already left at that time. You had already pulled the gun on him and ran him out of town. Oh, yeah, I done ran him off. (laughs) I like Dave. Uh, You're you're a fucking dick. If you had it to do over again, would you have pulled the gun on Court Bauer? Tell the truth. Oh, fuck. Shove it right up his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Who else used to fuck with you on this network and say that you were lazy? Was that Greenfield? Or was no. that was that just No, I think it was just court. Just court personally fucking you. Yeah, just court. Just uh, court personally fucking me. Fuck court. Okay. Well yeah, fuck like, you, court. Hey, yeah. Yeah, fuck you, court. <laughs> it's worth mentioning. Guys, we're, guys, we're just we, kidding. We, we're just kidding with court, okay? We love court. Me and court made up. Me and court are good, man. Every, everybody's good. No, no hard feelings. Nobody pulled no a gun nothing. on Lagana or Krista oh. Joseph or Freddie Prince. <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? You're you're the motherfucker stone. You're over there. Pop another fucking top. 
Have dude, another drink. Dude, this was fun for me. I mean, I got to sit here and just watch you pour your guts out. And I didn't have to do any research. I just, you know, told you how lazy you were and you're a yes man. Well, you know what, man? Hey, on people. And again, you, shit's out there. Nerves out there. Bullshit's out there. Fuck it. Address it. Move on next. Hopefully we can just go to the next fucking thing to the next time I fuck up and do something stupid because it's probably not that far, far away. You know, I'll do something stupid eventually. Fuck. Well, I mean, I who think, knows? Who I knows think, what the fuck I could do? I mean, hell could freeze over. <laughs> you never know. How much shit are we going to get for doing this show? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. Probably mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> oh, You'll get God. more shit than I will. I know I'm going to. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're gonna get shit. I have friends there, and they're not gonna fucking speak to me for a little while after this. Probably. Yeah. Well. Any other rumor in the This is a bonus show. God damn it! It's an hour and twenty six fucking minutes. It's time to go. I'm with you on that. I just wanna. I want to put a bow on this so we don't ever have to bring this up again. And we can just let it just live here. Is there anything else you need to just purge yourself of? No, I'm feeling pretty purged. You know people are going to say I let you off the hook on this uh, conspiracy theory. Okay, fuck them. I don't care. I don't care. It's a bonus show. You got what you got. You're lucky I talked about anything at all because, frankly, I don't think that it's anybody else's business. Um, but I address your rumors and innuendos, and uh, that's it. I'm done. Be sure to send your hate tweets to at Bruce Pritchard, and we'll be back this Friday right here on Something to Wrestle With. I'm fired. Bruce Pritchard. Brother love, I knew you'd come. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.